0: This morning, Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has had regard for the humble state of His bondslave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. It's good to fear the Lord. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God. We ask in Jesus' name this morning that you would grant that we would comprehend this text and then that we would live it out. God, that we would be able to identify with Mary in her celebration of the good things that you have done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Bradley, I I don't know if you hear it, but I am still getting that background noise that's messing with me. Can you still hear me now? That is so much better. Thank you, my brother. So what we've just read in Luke's Gospel is a divinely inspired hymn of praise that is a declaration of Mary's faith. In response to the blessing of bearing Jesus, Mary celebrates what God has accomplished. Did you notice that this young maiden from Galilee knew her Bible? Every word of her song is steeped in the promises of God from the Old Testament. The songs of the Bible whether from Mary or from others, show us by example how it is that we praise God through singing. Biblical songs and hymns of praise are biblical. They draw upon various portions of Scripture to show how the whole story fits together, how the promises of God are fulfilled in His Son and how this truth impacts our lives now and forevermore. Mary Young Mary, we think of her as just the mother of Jesus, but she's also a hymn writer extraordinaire. Here's a beautiful hymn that Mary composes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what the hymn shows us is that when we receive the blessing of salvation through Jesus, there's three things that it leads us or compels us to do. First, it compels us to praise God for his great work in us or toward us individually. Secondly, we must praise God for reversing the status of His people, not just us individually, but corporately, all of His people. And finally, we must praise God for keeping His covenant through His Son. First, we must praise God for His great work for us. The choir just saying, God is for us. He is with us. The sending of Jesus is a declaration that God is for His people by sending Jesus God restores His people to the purposes for which we were made. Worship that springs up from our soul. In Christ, God has given us every reason to worship Him from the very core of our being. In verse 46, Mary says, my soul exalts. In verse 47, she says, my spirit has rejoiced. Now, Mary is not talking about two parts of herself. This is simply two ways of saying the same thing that she is praising God from the core of who she is. The culmination of everything that she's hoped and believed has come in Jesus, and that gives her reason to celebrate and to worship. Just a week ago, my daughter Elizabeth was playing in a preseason basketball tournament. This is her. I believe her fourth or fifth season of basketball, and we started working on defense at a young age in the ready position, and I believed that in time the offense would come, and well, I was beginning to have my doubts. But then, this past Saturday, a pass came in over the top, and she Didn't hesitate to catch it. She caught the ball. And then I said, pivot. And she pivoted. And there was wide open space. And she took a dribble, dribble. And a defender came. And she shot right over the top. Swish. And I went gangbusters nuts. Everybody thought I was crazy. But all the pieces... All the pieces of the puzzle came together from the reception of the pass to the pivot to the attack of the basket to not being afraid when the defender came over. All the pieces had come together and I just couldn't contain myself. That's a picture of Mary. All the pieces come together when Jesus comes to earth and she can't stand it. She's got to rejoice from within her soul. She's got to celebrate in her spirit. You see, when we understand what God has done for us in Christ, verse 48, He has regarded us, meaning He's looked down at us to deliver us in Christ. A proper response, church, is not to sit on your hands. A proper response is not to be boring and dull. It is to celebrate from a deep and genuine and heartfelt Praise and place to the Lord. As Bach writes, Mary enters into praise because of what God has done. What has He done? He's exalted His people. And therefore, Mary exalts the Lord. Look at verse 46. To exalt the Lord means to magnify Him, to make Him big, to to esteem Him highly. You know, you can't make the Lord any bigger than He already is. But when the Lord gives you new life in Christ, when He fills you with the knowledge of God and makes you a part of His mission in the world, you want to make a big deal out of Jesus. You want to make a big deal out of the Lord. How do you do it? You zoom in on God. You exalt Him. You magnify him. Let me ask you, what is distracting you this Christmas? What is competing for your attention and your affection this Christmas? What are you so easily distracted by this Christmas? Let me encourage you to do what Mary does, exalt the Lord. It's a word that's written in the present tense. It means she keeps on magnifying God. And she has rejoiced in God her Savior. This means that her rejoicing has begun because Christ has come but it's a rejoicing that is not yet complete. You see, God broke into her life as Savior, and the salvation that begins with Jesus' conception isn't just for Mary. Look at verse 48, it is for all generations. Generations upon generations of people will be blessed. Why? Because God blessed Mary with His Son. And Mary is grateful to be used by God to bring His blessing to His people. She praises God because He had regard for her. He looked down on her. Bach tells us, Mary did not expect or assume that she would be the object of such special attention from God. You know, the the challenge with being a believer for a long time is at some point we start to begin to believe that we deserved it. that, That we did something to earn it. That somehow God should have looked down on us and delivered us. But we didn't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. And Mary comes as a humble bond slave and says, God, thank you for regarding me. God kindly chose to re- Mary to receive and to bear and to deliver His saving power through Christ His Son. The word humble means low in status, overlooked destitute. You need some good news this morning. God doesn't overlook those who see their humble need for him. Those are the ones that God regards. Do you need Jesus this morning? Do you see your need for Christ this morning? He has looked down on you in the person of His Son and He invites you to receive Him in order that you might be delivered over to the purpose of your life to magnify and exalt the Lord. Mary is an example of a person of faith in whom God works to bring His salvation to the world. God can work in Mary to bring about His miraculous salvation and He can also work in you. God will likewise use you to get Jesus to people that no one else will reach. And when He does, hear this church, generations upon generations won't just call Mary blessed for being faithful to the end and bringing Jesus to the world. They will call you blessed for being faithful with the witness to the Lord Jesus Christ that they were able to receive and trust in Him and be blessed to know His salvation as well. One of the people that I can't wait to meet in heaven after Jesus is the man who walked by my father's house Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and he said, Hey Mikey, are you coming to church this morning? Who is it that will call you blessed because of your faithfulness, your tenacious Faithfulness to deliver Christ to them. Mary understands that with Jesus, everything has changed forever. His mighty saving work continues from this time on. Do you see that in verse 48? You see the victory and salvation of a holy and sovereign God will come through a king born in Bethlehem and he is the mighty one verse 49 who has begun his war against the enemies of God's people by coming through God's people to deliver them Mary mentions the holiness of God why why does God mention that why does Mary mention that God is holy She mentions his holiness to accentuate The depths of her humility, the more set apart and holy that God is, the greater the depths of Mary's humility. Bach writes this, as Mary sets forth the high sovereign authority of God, His acts on her behalf take on an even more gracious light. In Jesus, the holy God, who did not owe us a thing, has through His immense power made a way to be with us and for us and in us rather than against us. We praise God for sending His Son and His salvation for each and every one of us. But our praise is not only for what God has done for us individually. God did not save a bunch of individuals to live their individual lives disconnected from one another. He saved us as a people. And we see this very clearly in verses 50 through 53. We must praise God for reversing the status of his people. In verse 50, Mary is confident that God's faithfulness is not just for her, but for people in all generations. She carries in her womb the forever king who secures forever victory for his forever people. God's mercy, look at verse 50, is toward those who fear Him. And we are in great need of God's mercy because He's the only one, get this, who can deliver us from everything else that we fear. We're called to fear God because we worship what we fear. And He alone is worthy of our worship. Some fear embarrassment or submitting to God's authority or any authority because the praise of men is their God. These are those that Mary calls in verse 51, the ones who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. The proud are quick to recognize deficiencies in others. When you ask the proud about their weaknesses, they say something like, well, sometimes I'm just too nice. The lives of the powerful are dominated by a desire to be seen and highly regarded rather than for Christ to be seen and magnified through them. And guess what? Apart from Christ, this is all of us. We all have this challenge. We all want to be the star of our own show. Others are in positions of power, whether on thrones, literal or metaphorical. Verse 52, you see to the heads of state, nothing is more intimidating Than a gathering like this this morning. A gathering of people whose supreme allegiance is to Christ and to Christ alone. Nothing is more intimidating or revolutionary than your allegiance to Christ the head, who is eternally greater than the state. Allegiance to a forever king who occupies the places and the spaces in your life and in your heart that belong to God alone. The powerful, they want to eliminate God as a rival. And if they can't eliminate him as a rival, then they will suffice to co-opt him like the Roman government did back in 325 AD when the state and the church were united together and the church thought it was wonderful. But slowly, the church's allegiance to Christ eroded and it became a a mixed allegiance between state and Christianity, between Christ and the state. And you couldn't distinguish between the two. But there must be places in our hearts Where the only allegiance that we have is to Christ and to Christ alone. The world wants to slowly chip away at your allegiance to Jesus. And finally, Mary mentions the rich. Verse 53. Money or financial security is not something that I preach about just because I enjoy the topic. It's because it's throughout the Bible. You can't say to your pastor, I want you to preach the Bible, just don't talk about that money stuff because you can't preach the Bible if you do that. Because it is the idol that God mentions more often in His Word than any other. You see, the fear of not having enough stuff is a terrible fear. Some work themselves to an early death trying to save enough money. Some never ever, ever know the joy of true generous giving because they're afraid of outliving their retirement. The reason that God mentions our wealth and even Mary, the poor young maiden, mentions wealth is because God wants to be your portion. God wants to be your prize. God wants to be your shield and your provider and your defender. And none of these idols, whether pride or power or provision, is worthy of our worship because none of these fears can save us from what we really fear. And what we really fear is death. Hebrews 2.15 tells us the fear of death enslaves us, but when we fear God and worship Him, we are released from the fear of death. The proud and the powerful and the plentiful cannot undermine our confidence in Christ because He holds our lives, and our lives are surrendered to Him who controls our future. Because Christ wins, we will not, church of God, be counted among those who would sell our souls for personal or political or financial gain. We don't live as slaves bound by fears of what might happen to us in this world, but as slaves of Christ who fear God and God alone. Mary understands. Salvation includes Christ's victory for all of His people in all times. As Bach writes, Mary is anticipating in the child she bears total vindication. Oh, the world might mock us. The world might kill us. The world might insult us. The world might make fun of our Christmas. The world might instead say, Happy Holidays. The world might do all sorts of things to the church of God, but Mary is confident that Christ will win. Mary's praise sounds like a declaration of war. We think about Mary and we think those pretty pictures. Y'all back here, choir? You remember the pretty pictures with the, you know, the thing on her head and she's all cuddled up with Jesus. But right here, she's writing a poem that says Jesus is on the war path. Jesus has come to vindicate his people and to vanquish his enemies. She's not just bringing an innocent child to the world. She is bearing God's warrior son and king who will reverse the status of those who fear the Lord. Oh, you might be oppressed in this life. You might be tired and worn out and poor in this life. You might have nothing in this life, but if you have Jesus, He will vindicate your faith in Him in the last days. With His mighty arm, verse 51, God will act to in power to scatter the proud. And He will tear down, meaning He will bring to nothing, literally to rip down from above the rulers from their thrones. And He will leave those trusting in their riches. Verse 53, they will be empty handed. And when He does, it is in that moment that the humble, those who have feared God and God alone, will be exalted. They will be raised up to everlasting life with Him. And the hungry, those who are desperate to know the presence of God, they will be filled. And here's good news. This isn't just something that God will do when He comes again. It is something that He is doing right now through His church. When tribal leaders who once killed Christians come to Christ because of missionaries who were on the ground there, when worldly and wealthy atheists hear the gospel and they repent of their stubborn and arrogant pride and they give their lives to Christ, God is at work vanquishing His enemies. How? By making His enemies His own. And soon, God will come in judgment. But for now, God has given His church this role. The role of bringing down the proud. The role of bringing down the powerful. The role of bringing down those who trust in wealth. And we do it before it is too late. We tell the world it is better to be overcome by God's power now than to be overcome by His power later. Mary's role was to give birth to the Savior. The church's role is to make it as difficult as possible for, pe- for people to deny that the Savior has come. Church, we should be the people. We are the ones who should make the kingdom attractive to a watching world by how we make decisions, by how we regard one another, by how we exalt the humble, by how we fill the hungry among us in the world. It's why we pay for lunches over at Burlington Elementary on delinquent lunch accounts and over at Mountain View Elementary. It's why we host Wind Camp and Vacation Bible School. It's why we knock down a house and put sod on it to have a place where kids can play joyfully. It's why we've got plans that I'm going to begin to talk about next week about how we can improve our children in our preschool areas and have a place where we can serve families with young children to the best of our ability. It is why by God's grace we'll do more in 2018 than we did in 2017 to get missionaries on the ground in places where they still don't have a church or a Christian or a Bible who can tell them the fact that Jesus came for them. This is what we are doing church. We are previewing the kingdom of a Christ who came to vanquish his enemies and we're getting the news of the gospel there before it is too late. We are the people who show the watching world what the kingdom should look like. God delights to give His grace to the humble and to fill the hungry, and we should be the people and the place who are filling the hungry and exalting the humble that they might know Christ. If you're tired this morning of the emptiness of being the star of your own show, if you're tired of trusting in a power that you really don't even have and that you could never even keep if you had it, if you're tired of seeking more and more stuff in this world and yet feeling farther and farther and farther from God, then let God this morning overcome you with His great power. Let Him vanquish all the fears in your life and replace it with the fear that will save you, the fear of a holy God. Be humble this morning before God and let Him lift you up. Be hungry for the presence of God and let Him feel your deepest need. Finally, we must praise God for keeping His covenant through His Son. This really is an extension of everything that Mary has said in verses 50-53. through 53, But I felt it worthy of its own point because of some of the language that Mary uses. In these verses, Mary is bringing her her hymn to a close with a reminder that Jesus fulfills all that God has promised. In Jesus, the help and the mercy of God have come. God's Son has come as the help of God Himself in powerful demonstration of this truth. God keeps His promises. God has remembered His mercy. I love verse 54, the words, has given help. Do you see those words? The words, has given help, mean to embrace something that would otherwise fall. Like a a newborn baby whose neck simply cannot stay up on her mother's shoulder unless the mother supports it. Left to her own devices, Israel would have never given us Jesus. So God helps His servant Israel by becoming the servant of all. God remembers His mercy because He can't fail to be God. He is a promise keeper. Jesus came to be Israel for us. To obey where Israel failed. To take our sin and to make a way not just for Israel, but for all nations to know and be known by God. He makes us His bride, the Israel of God. Galatians 6, 9. We know this because in Jesus, God has remembered and fulfilled His covenant with Abraham. The, the word remembered in 55 is so important. All throughout the Old Testament, we see moments where God remembers His people. God remembers His people. It's at the very moment that His people have no other options that God steps in and remembers. He takes decisive action to advance His covenant. And then Jesus comes as the remembrance of God. And guess what? The rest of Scripture, you don't see God remembering anymore. Why? Why? Jesus is the remembrance of God. If you want to be remembered by God and included in His kingdom, then come to Jesus and find the remembrance, the decisive saving action of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, God just hasn't remembered the nation of Israel. He's remembered all the descendants of Abraham. You remember the promise in Genesis 12 that all the families of the earth would be blessed through the seed of, the descendant of Abraham, how is that possible? Because there's coming a day in a new heavens and a new earth when the only families who are here, the only families who remain are those who have, like Abraham, trusted in the promised son and had it counted unto them as righteousness. In Jesus, God has remembered his mercy. He's taken decisive and final action to keep his promise to have an entire world of worshipers forever and gratefully dedicated to God because of the redemption, the payment for our sin that we received in Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the middle and the end of God's salvation. And for that, we give praise to Christ our King this and every Christmas. Would you bow with me? Our great God, we stand in all of you. We thank you for your servant Mary, who was faithful to record this hymn that you inspired. And God, we confess to you at Christmas that, that so often it is easy to be distracted by the things that we've put on top of Christmas that really don't have much to do. With you, So we ask God, by your grace this morning, that you would free us to exalt you and to magnify you and to delight in you because of what you've done for us individually, because of what you're doing in your church, and because of who Christ is, the remembrance and the mercy of God for the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I... I don't know what your need is. I know we've got a number of guests and families who are here. But maybe you came for the first time interested in what all this Christmas stuff is about. And you have been trusting in things that will not save you. And you need to come and give your life to Christ. We invite you to come. For others of you, some of you I greeted this morning. You've been attending for months and even years. And you've not yet committed This is my church family. I want to be on mission with North Roanoke Baptist Church in the Roanoke Valley and around the world, and it's time. It's time to walk an aisle and sign a card and say, I'm all in starting in 2018. Whatever your need, as we sing glory in the highest, we invite you to come this morning.